Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So am I right in thinking, you sort of alluded to this last night on stage, or Saturday night on stage, sorry, that the whole sort of reunion of the Disciples of Soul was kind of born off the back of the Blues Fest gig last year? Totally. Yeah? I mean, it was completely circumstantial. I had no intention whatsoever to come back uh, to make a record or or anything. Right. You just sort of hung that up and done five. Yeah, not, not... You know, sort of consciously. I mean, I just sort of got busy. Yeah. Acting first, and then Bruce put the band back together. And then, well, even before that, I started a radio show. And, uh, you know, just one thing led to another. The next and, thing you know, uh, two decades have gone by. Honestly, I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> no, I know. Well, when but... you're busy, time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, when Leo, uh, Leo Green... Uh, you know, said, you know, when are you coming back? And, and I said, me and Maureen coming back for Bill Wyman's birthday. He said, well, that's the same week as my blues festival. Throw a band together and you can headline one of the nights, you know. I just felt like, geez, you know, maybe it's time, you know. And, just felt uh, right. Yeah, but it was still a, quite a revelation to get into a rehearsal. And I, I just made a list of 20 songs or something and... uh Quite a revelation, becoming reacquainted with my own music. You know, I was quite surprised about it. Um, just felt like they held up quite well and were kind of unique. You know, through the years, they sort of had become their own strange genre of rock meets soul. And yeah. uh, you know, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, I guess, but. Um, you know, I thought this this stuff has value. You know, there's something there's something about it. You know, I think it's because it's so close to the roots and yeah. captures that intensity that we all grew up with. Uh, being in the middle of the Renaissance period, like we were, you know, our standards were set very very high, and being that close to the roots, you know, of gospel and soul. You know, just an intensity that just doesn't exist anymore, you know? I'd agree with that. You know what I yeah. mean? And uh, 
it was a golden age, wasn't it? And you were obviously right place, right time. Yeah, well, we, we were sort of just after it, to be yeah. to be honest. You know, we were, we were third generation rock and roll, and really the first two, the 50s and 60s, were the main thing, you know. You were a teenager when the Beatles exploded, though, right? Yeah, 13, yeah. Was it the Ed Sullivan show that was sort of yep. like the light bulb moment for mm. you, as I imagine so many other people? Me and everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Everyone who saw that, I guess, picked up a guitar or a microphone. and The next day, the day before, there wasn't one single band in America. The yeah. day after, everybody had one. <laughs> in the garage, you know, not all of them got out of the garage, you know. <laughs> Only about a dozen of us got out of the garage, but um, everybody had a band the next day. It was the most amazing thing uh, there wasn't there wasn't bands. Yeah. There was no such thing as bands. It was, I guess, yeah. Elvis, Little Richard, Jerry Lee. Yeah. They're all singers, right? Front yeah. Frontman performers. Exactly, exactly. You know, for whatever reason, you know, and, and then suddenly, you know, this thing, you know, four or five guys, you know, it was a very different communication mm-hmm. to me and I think to a lot of others too. You know, suddenly it wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just, you know, spotlights on me, look at me, you know, it's us. A group, you know, the band, you know I mean? yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the posse, it's the gang, it's the clubhouse, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a team, you know, and, and ultimately that communicates that way. It communicates friendship and family and, and ultimately community, you know, and... Uh, who was your guy? Was it George Harrison or John Lennon? Yeah, George Harrison. George was yeah, your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, and, and they, as I've said many times, I mean, you know, keep in mind we we met the Beatles halfway through the career. Yeah. So they were quite sophisticated, and uh, while they revealed a new world, and it really was a new world. I mean, it was you know e- equal to a spaceship landing in Central Park. I mean, you know, it was that kind of you know. Picture Hyde Park, you know, whatever. I mean, um, they weren't, you know, they were just a little bit too perfect uh, to, to, to for you to say, wow, you know, I want to do that, or I can do that, maybe, you know. Uh, they were just, uh, you know, the harmony was just amazing, you know, the, the hair, the clothes, they were just, everything about them was alien and beautiful and perfect, you know. And... Uh, and uh, it wasn't until really um, uh, four months later when the Rolling Stones came, you know, that... Uh, Ragtag bunch. <laughs> yeah. They made it look a little bit easier than Attainable, it was. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it was accessible. <laughs> and, and really, I think one of the biggest moments, life-changing moments for me was, was, uh, was seeing Mick Jagger. And, and he was the only performer I'd ever seen in my life at that point. Uh, who didn't smile when he performed, you know? This, believe it or not, was the most important moment for me because, or second after the Beatles, certainly. But but that took it from show business to lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's when I really felt this is where I belong, you know, because I was never big on show business, really, you know? Um, I kind of, I, I kind of am now, you know, I kind of, I love, I love producing live events, you know, that's my favorite thing is producing in general, but, but especially live events, you know, the more, more production, the better, you know, we did a Broadway show a few years ago, which was just a massive production and For the rascals, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I do enjoy uh show business, uh, quote in quotes, now, now I, you're I, in it. The spectacle, yeah. you know, the, the spectacle of it all, you know. But back then, as a kid, I really didn't. You know, I was I was looking for, you know, you're looking for your identity, you know, and you're searching for an identity, and um, and you um, you you are what you like, yeah, right, yeah, when you're course. growing up, you know. And 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 so it was um, quite a an epiphany, you know, to to realize that this thing could be a lifestyle and not just um, something you do on stage and, you know. And, and then you go work a job or, yeah. Yeah, in, in some kind of false way, you know. You're looking for truth when you're a kid, you know. Yeah, and I guess through music and rock and roll, it's all about integrity, right, and yeah. sincerity. And yeah, now, you commitment. know, 
As it turned out, of course, you know, the Beatles would be the, literally the kings of the pop world and, and the Stones would take you on, on, on the more rock route, you know, more the bluesy, blues-based, you know. And equally important, and, and, and two sides of, sort of the yin and yang of the Renaissance, really. So it was a wonderful combination, those two groups, uh, in, in the end, and, uh, and, and all the others. I mean, the British invasion in general was the beginning of my life. I mean, and my whole radio format is based on it, you know. And the U.S. garage bands as well, or was it predominantly like the Kinks? Dave no, Five? no, it was exclusively, uh, almost exclusively at first, um, you know, the Beatles, and then, then you know, Dave Clark Five, the Herman's Hermits, you know, then the Kinks and the Animals and the Who and the Yardbirds and Hollies and, you know. Um, There's always been this beautiful transatlantic relationship, hasn't there, in the history of rock and pop? I guess you've got English kids listening to soul and rock and roll from the States, translating it in their own way, and almost giving it back to America. Not almost. Literally, literally. giving it back. I never heard of Chuck Berry. I never heard of Muddy Waters. Right. Never heard of them. Okay. You know, uh, so it was, it was Beatles and Stones and Yardbirds and, you know, telling me about our own music. And, uh, and the way they interpreted it was just extraordinary, you know? I use the word renaissance, but I don't use it lightly. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I really feel that period will be studied for hundreds of years to come. Uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was a separation at that point between the past and the future. I think the 60s will be remembered as that, you know? Everything changed uh, in terms of our consciousness and uh, our sensibilities, as well as the beginning of mass media, the beginning of, you know, civil rights consciousness, women's rights, gay rights, um, ecology, you know, ecological concerns, uh, you know, you name it, you know. It was all sort of that consciousness coming from, you know, the beat poets and, and people like that who were just, you know, naturally radical revolutionaries and thinking out of the box, you know, was something that people just didn't do. Mm -hmm. You know, it was no yeah. such thing, you know. It was your government, right or wrong, you know, whatever they did was always right, you know what I mean? You did what they said, everybody just followed the rules, you know. And suddenly all that was out the window, you know. And uh, bam, you know, huge change took place. Whatever. And, and you know, in the end, we... Um, just like the the Brits, you know, you know, are grateful to the Americans for the for the pioneers of rock and roll in the fifties. We are just as grateful to the to the British people for the for the sixties, you know. And then, we, and then we had a, you know then then our own thing. We we started to you know regain our own uh, uh, our own footing, if you will. Um, just a year and a half later, now time was different in those days. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot happened. In very, very short periods of time, it was much more dense and intense life in general. So that year and a half that the British bands dominated, and we should also include Dusty Springfield, and you know, uh, there were there were there were others, you know, but but um, it took a year and a half before folk rock began, you know, and then we started to get back on the charts and get back into people's consciousness with the Birds and Bob Dylan. You know, and then we had our own blues period with Paul Butterfield Blues Band, very, very important. Uh, you know, and then and then that led to the you know the, the country stuff, Young Bloods and and Buffalo Springfield and Moby Grape, and, uh, and so you know we we started to um, get back between the folk folk rock people and the country rock people. We kind of took took um, you know started to take music. Uh, started to contribute to it, really, you know. Um, uh, um, and, and in many ways, again, taking elements that the British had already picked up on, but but basically taking it, you know, Bob Dylan's ascendancy was quite profound, and I think the birds led the way, you know. But if the Stones hadn't been on the radio, you know, Mick Jagger's voice, I think, revolutionized radio. And the only reason why his voice was tolerated on the radio was because of the Beatles. The Beatles giving them that song 
I think, changed history. You know, uh, the Stones' first single hadn't done anything, and, you know, the Beatles gave them I Want to Be Your Man, and the Beatles were so strong at that point yeah. that they had to play it. You know, that literally, the radio had to, had to play the Stones. And so suddenly people's ears started to adapt to this rock-type rock singing, that blues-based, if you will, you know, or, you know, whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't the typical pop voice, which the Beatles did have, you know, uh, and, and, and were the best of, you know, uh, more than one voice, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but the Stones, you know, uh, you know, I think Mick Jagger's voice was a bit uh, uh, of a new idea, you know, this more conversational approach. And, and, and Ray Davis had it also with the Kinks. And then Keith, you know, Ralph, you know, with the Yardbirds. And so, you know, he started to have that sort of Eric Burden, the animals, you know, uh, a different sort of approach. It was really crossing over, basically. It was a coup d'etat, you know, of the yeah, charts yeah, yeah, by, yeah. by these blues-based rock guys, you know, who didn't really belong in the pop world. But suddenly they were crossing over into it, you know. They were invading this pop, the pop charts, and uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful period where these, you know, all these fantastic uh, creative people were suddenly on the pop charts, you know. And uh, and I think that 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 introduction of that different kind of conversational voice that Mick had and and so many others allowed Bob Dylan's voice to be to be allowed on radio. You know what I mean? It was suddenly, you know, it was, they, they paved the way, I think, for Bob's voice, which was the ultimate conversational, you know, folky, bluesy type of voice. And, uh, and he obviously pushed the single format, didn't he? Outside of the three-minute yes, limit. And yeah, took it yeah. to six and beyond. And- yeah, well, with Like a Rolling Stone, I, when I got it, I, it was like the first half was on side A and the second half was on side really? you know, Yeah, that, that's what I recall. You know, it was like it wasn't even allowed to be on one side, you know. Does uh, it just abruptly stop and you flip? I, I, you know, I don't remember now. I think it just faded out. Right, you know, right, you and know. then fades back in. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I'm sure they, they, I'm quite sure they did not play the whole thing on, uh, at least in the beginning. Yeah. I, I don't think so. It's too radical, right? Well, it was like six minutes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing, nothing past three, three and a half. I mean, even I think the Stones were pushing it with like three and a half with like 19th nervous breakdown or whatever it was, you know, just sort of, you know, they were testing the limits of it. And then, you know, and then of course, Hey Jude would, would follow soon and that would, but that was a bit later, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, Bob Dylan was more more than the length of the song of course he was introducing content, elements yeah. of yeah of just consciousness you know again coming straight from the beat poets straight from Allen Ginsberg and Kerouac uh you know and bringing that bringing that consciousness into into pop music which was just a new idea i mean you know uh, the first sentence really uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues, which is, um, which would have been, what, the fifth album, right? Uh, Bringing it all back home. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 65. Right. Free Will in a second. Change, uh, Times Are Changes, another side. Yeah, I think it's the fifth, fifth album. I, yeah. I should know this, obviously. <laughs> anyway, that first sentence, Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement thinking, thinking about, the, about government. the government. Yeah. What? That's all of it right there, isn't it? That's it. Psychedelic experimentation. Or, or at least metaphorical, symbolic, yeah. having fun, which yeah, Bob yeah. loved to do. Like, <laughs> let me just put some words together and let people try and figure out what they mean, right? And then, as, and then the second half, I'm on the payment thinking about the government. What? You're like, what do you mean you're thinking about the government? Nobody else was thinking about the government, all right? You, you know what I mean? That was like, what do you mean you're thinking about the government? That was such a radical, that simple sentence was so radical at the time. It completely changed the world, you know, that one fucking yeah. sentence. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, it was suddenly like, wow, 
We, you mean we're supposed to think about the government? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, that didn't occur to anybody before, you know? Nobody. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, literally, it's the first sentence of his, of his first really electric song, you know, as he, as he made the transition from completely revolutionizing folk music in three albums. I mean, completely revolutionizing folk music that had existed for a hundred years in three albums, you know, uh, he starts to, uh, he leaves them behind and bewildered <laughs> and, Judas, and yeah. booing him. Yes. <laughs> at every single show, uh, you know, in England and everywhere else. Uh, yeah. At what age did you meet Bruce? How old were you both? Were you, are you the same age? Um, no, he's a year older. Uh, I was 15. I was 15. I think he was 16. Um, as I said, most of the bands didn't get out of the garage, but we both had bands of our own. Were you singing at the time? Or? Yeah, I led, yeah, my, yeah. I led my own band, a band called The Source, and uh, he led his band. And... Um, yeah, we see each other at band battles, you know, uh, which of course my band always won. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, and you know, you, you got to know each other because it was only like I said, a dozen bands in the entire area. Really, it wasn't yeah. like you know, I read about Liverpool with a hundred bands, or God knows what was in London. But uh, I mean, literally, literally, there was like ten bands. That's it. You know, an entire midsection of New Jersey. You know. <laughs> Because uh, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a business yet, and uh, it was just a weird thing to do, really, you know. Um, anyway, and then on the weekends, I'd come up to New York, New York City, and go to the Cafe Wa, which is still there on McDougal. And in the afternoon, Saturday afternoons, they'd have one band after the other. And I sit there and 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 learn and learn and learn because they were like a year ahead of New Jersey, you know. New York was quite a bit ahead, and I started started running into Bruce there, you know. So you both always had that drive to seek out yep. the source, as it were. Right? Yep, yep. And so we became even closer. But if you were in a band, you were friends. And like I said, if you had long hair back then, you were, you were friends. Because so there wasn't many of you, right? No. I got thrown out of school. I got thrown out of my house because you had long hair, you know. And rather than cut it, you were like, I'll take it. I'll exactly. take the punishment. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually I did cut it. I felt bad for my mother and went, went back in. But uh, but there was that moment where, you, you know, you were completely ostracized. You were like a complete freak. And uh, they didn't know how to handle it. It was the beginning of the the huge generation gap, as it was called. Well, it was a threat to the very establishment and not just the kind of political one, but the home one as well, right? Oh, yeah, the whole, well, the, the whole, we, we were the story. first generation that basically didn't grow up to be our parents. Yeah, openly even, rebelled against Yeah, it, even yeah. the 50s, you know, yep. as, as, even though that was the birth of the, of the teenager, mm -hmm. okay, there was no such thing as a teenager before that. Uh, it was the beginning of a whole new species of people yeah, called yeah. teenagers. Um, but the idea then, I guess, was that you would still grow out of it eventually that's right. and become an adult exactly, down. Exactly right. And we were the first ones who had did not happen. And so we were just an embarrassment, you know, to our parents and my father, uh, ex-Marine Goldwater Republican, you know. Um, I was just, uh, you know, satanic, you know. Uh, you know, we would did make, you make up. peace over the years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was you. You know, that was. I guess once you prove that you're doing all right, yeah, then they can which you know it, took right? a minute, but yeah. <laughs> you know, eventually, <laughs> I think only the we were, we were we were probably the longest running band that were a bar band for the most you know the longest period of time. The Beatles were close. I think the Beatles were a close second. You know, because you know they they I mean. Lennon's playing with the Quarrymen fifty seven. Yeah, right. You know. And they didn't really, you know, they got they had the hit at the end of sixty two and kind of broke through in sixty three, right? So yeah. that's you know five six years, you know, of struggling, man. I guess what that does though is that hones your chops, doesn't it? And it makes well, you an unstoppable force on stage. That's absolutely it? right. And this is what everybody needs to learn when, and everybody in the last couple of generations have forgotten. You know, mm -hmm. everybody always asks why the Beatles, why were the Beatles so good? You know, were they were they born great? You know. And I say no. 
I don't think anybody's born great, okay? Yeah, um, they certainly had some uh, gifts. But the gifts and, and the talents and the greatness, you know, is probably in everybody, okay? And yeah, everybody's a little bit different, and maybe they had a little bit more gifted than most, but they had to earn it. You have to... You have to release that greatness, okay? You know what I mean? It's in there. I think it's in everybody. Now, does everybody have the opportunity or the drive or the ambition or the circumstance to get that greatness released? No, unfortunately. Not because because of our school system, because of our society. You know, um, it's a lot of it's suppressed or repressed or whatever. But, but um, if for some reason, some kind of circumstance or some kind of ambition, or just because you are a little bit of a freak of nature, you stay focused on something like that, I think it releases, you know, an, a, a greatness. Uh, and I think them doing six sets a night, seven nights a week, for months at a time, man, and picture yeah. that. Yeah, you know, to rough crowds as well. Over rough in Hamburg. crowds in yeah. Hamburg and playing those classics, man, the the, the pioneers. Right, the birth of rock and roll, you know, Everly Brothers, you know, Roy Orbison, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, Little Richard, you know, the doo-wop stuff, um, you know, over and over and over and over, man, you know, you you, you just you, you're studying you're, music and the process. You of are doing that, you are you, you are drilling this stuff into your DNA. Yeah. All right. You know, and I can't overemphasize that. Six sets a night, all right? That's um, who knows how many songs, you know? Yeah, because they're all three minutes a night, aren't they? Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure they were extending the solos and, you know, doing whatever they could do. But still, you know, it's it's whatever that is, 60, 70, 80 songs a night, you know? And and seven nights a week, you know, (laughs) for months... And then they go home, and then they come back. And they go home, and they come back. Right? You know, and that happened, whatever, three, four, five times. You know. So believe me, by the time we discovered them, man, you know. They were seasoned. You know, yeah. <laughs> beyond. They had, they had that thing printed on their DNA, and so they start to write. And they have these standards. That's the difference. Your standards get set by that redundancy, by that, by that work. So you, you, you earn... The release of your greatness, yeah, you know, and that's what happened with them, you know. Um, and would you say that was the case with the E Street Band as well? Yeah, that was the same yeah. story. Honest to God, we I think we we were a year longer before we had any success. I think we were like seven years in the right, right. struggling, you know. So did you join full time in seventy two? No, later um, on seventy five, right. really, um, with the Born to Run tour. Um, the first two records hadn't done anything, and. Uh, and the third record was going to be the end. Um, Born going, to Run was going to be sort of, if this they were, doesn't they're, come they're out for to, us, we're out. They are about to drop them from the record label. Right. And, uh, you know, if that hadn't been as good as it was, um, that was the end of him, you know. That's why the scene in Asbury Park had blossomed, because we were there, and we were the residency with Southside Joint and the Asbury Jukes. Yep. And Bruce would just come down because he just, you know, once you were in the music business, mm-hmm. ironically, you couldn't work anymore. You know what I mean? You had to play the business places. You had to play the showcase clubs. You had to play the, you know, whatever it was, right? Where locally. Couldn't be a bar band anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, you weren't supposed to be, you know? So he came, you know, and, and just was enjoying playing with us. And, uh, and you know, we just created that scene down there, which uh, went from one night to two to three nights a week. You know, thousand people a night. You know, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, relative to my expenses, I've never made that much money since. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, three dollars a head, man. You know, like nine thousand dollars a week. Now, you know, we had a big band. You know, we had some horns and stuff already. You know, and my entire overhead, my all of my expenses was one hundred and fifty dollars a month. You know, so it was like. You know. I guess that's the other difficult thing for bands these days, isn't it? In cities like London and New York, is nowadays the cost of living, the cost of rent is so high mm. compared to what it was that musicians can't afford to be in cities like that, not working and that's just right. doing the music. We happened to get to Asbury Park just after the riots. There were riots. You know, in those days there were lots of riots. You know, all kinds of civil unrest 
So we got to this town, which was completely abandoned. Right. It had been a resort town. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, know, like the Warriors. It's sort of like post-apocalyptic. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sort of Brighton-ish, I yeah. guess, you know, uh, you know what you would have here. Um, but then the boardwalk was still there at that point. So you had still, you know, the Ferris wheel and, you know, that stuff on the boardwalk, where people would still come on the weekend and kind of visit from North Jersey a bit. But the rest of the town was a wasteland completely. So we, you know, we were all living together, you know, paying nothing, whatever it was, you know, one hundred fifty dollars a month. You know, and uh, it was the perfect environment to, uh, and, and we had, you know, we were able to pay that rent. But um, it was cheap, you know. We had yeah. to be cheap, and and you know, because it wasn't a major city, you know, we were able to do that and and have not as much pressure. What do you think it was about the sound in that time at that place, like the, the Jersey sound, which is now sort of famous? Was it just the amalgamation of your influences as a group of guys? Yeah, we just sort of, um, you're looking for your identity, as I said before, you know, and, and in those days you really had to have a, a distinct identity uh, to be valid. Um, so by the early 70s, we really had felt we'd missed it, you know, it was like, it was this kind of over you know we everything had been done you know everything was starting to revert back you know it felt like it had peaked you know in the late 60s um you know and, and suddenly you know the beatles were into let it be you know this sort of you know going you know devolving backwards and you know uh, you know the band had come up, and and, and you know the whole the, the final trend. You know there was, there was sort of a, a trend every single year in the sixties. You know there was like seven major trends. You know the British invasion, folk rock, country rock, psychedelic, blues rock, uh, uh, and then ending and with sort of hard rock with Zeppelin, hard and rock, yeah. and then and then ended sort of with southern, the southern rock thing uh-huh. uh, that, that that was you know. The band Skinhead and stuff like that. Uh, not quite. No. no, that was a bit later. That 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 was the beginning of the fragmentation of the seventies. But before that, it was the band it was Delaney and Bonnie. You know Taj Mahal. You know uh, Ray Cooter. You, you know it was Eagles. The, I guess uh, um, not yet. No, right. no. That would be again the seventies. It was fragment into. Um, uh, a dozen different genres at that point right. that you're talking about. But just before that, we were a monoculture. Very odd for America, which is, you know, there's no culture in America. Uh, we, so to have a monoculture artistically was quite odd. And, and it would last. It would go from 64 to like 69. And in 70, 71, there would be this massive fragmentation into a dozen different genres that everybody would would then separate from each other and, and remain, remain so to this day. But up until then, everybody followed those trends. Yeah. Everybody. You were into British Invasion in 64. You were into folk rock in 65. You were into country rock in 66. You know what I mean? Psychedelic in 67. Hard rock in 68. And, and, and southern rock in 69. Everybody. You know what I mean? That's how it went. Yeah. You know? So by... By the end, it, things had started to revert back to the roots, if you will. Uh-huh. You know, gospels, you know, staple singers or the band, this alt, you know, Americana that they invented, really, you know, certainly popularized. And, you know, Clapton's, you know, they're, they're breaking up Cream and he wants to join the band and uh, George Harrison wants to join Delaney and Bonnie. You, you know what I mean? It's like it had gone as far as it was going to go. Yeah. And now started to come back, and then here we come. <laughs> We're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, we missed it. You know, we missed it. So, but in our heads, we still had to sort of try and invent something, some identity of our own. So, with the Jukes, I thought we had gone to see Sam and Dave, me, Johnny, and Bruce. I forget who else was with us. Maybe Gary Talent, and. Um, and we saw Sam and Dave for the first time, 70, I don't know, 72, 73. And it was just the greatest thing we'd ever seen, you know. I mean, it was incredible. 
Um, so me and Johnny said, okay, we're going to be the white Sam and Dave, basically. <laughs> so, you know, but with rock guitar, you know. Because that hadn't been done at that point, really. Right. You know, so we just kind of fell into it, and it felt interesting. It, it felt like this, it felt like fun, first of all. It felt, you know, it felt good. But then it, it happened to be quite original in its own way, which, which was a nice bonus, you know. And so uh, that's where it began, you know. That sound of rock meets soul that we put together and kind of revolutionized what a bar band was. Okay, we didn't know it. But before that, you had to play the top 40. It was known as the top 40 hits on the radio. It's the only time you could work in New Jersey. We broke that mold by discovering this club where the roof had caved in because of a hurricane, and they were going to close four weeks later. And we said to them, listen, man, you know, we'll play for the door, and you take the bar. You're going to close anyway, but we're going to play whatever we want. No one had ever done that. So they didn't care, you know? Sure, go ahead. So that was a stone pony. We played 50, 50 people the first week, 100 the next week, 200 the next week. They fixed the roof the third week, you know? And, you know, and then they expanded the clubs three months later and, you know, went from a 300, 400-person club to 1,000. You know, and that's how it happened, you know? But that sound of, of soul music becoming synonymous with bar band music w hadn't been done. You know, that was, really wasn't the case. And suddenly, the f the, even the phrase bar band um, suddenly became respectable. You know, suddenly the, the bands that came after us uh, in, the, in, you know, in the reviews, you know, Graham Parker, uh, Elvis Costello, Mink DeVille, even Huey Lewis, um, you know, there was five or six in that genre coming up right behind us. And in the reviews, they would call them, you know, the bar band sound, you know, and they meant it as a compliment for the first time. You know, it yeah. wasn't an insult like it used to be, you know. So it was sort of a, you know, changing moment. And, of course, you're not conscious of it at the time. You know, you're just, you're just doing what you do, you know. But looking back now, what people call bar band changed after the jukes, you know. And also the the term became respectable, you know, which was before it was an insult. It meant you couldn't make it in the real business, you know. You were just a bar band, you know. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, now people are, you know, trying to get that bar band sound, <laughs> you know. How do we get that sound, man? You know. So, you know, it was like that, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Tell me about writing 10th Avenue Freeze Out. I guess that was sort of the story of the E Street Band, right? And you obviously wrote the I didn't the write horn it. Line. No, 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 I didn't write it. Well, the horns, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just was, you know, visiting the studio... You know, and I and I wasn't really, I didn't really get it. You know, I didn't really, um, I did. You know, it, it was a strange moment because 
all the records of the 50s and 60s sounded great. And all the records in the 70s sounded terrible. And, you know, so I'm in, I'm in a studio just visiting, you know, because I've known Bruce since 65. And this is whatever it was, 73, 74, I don't know. So, you know, we've been friends a long time, you know, but he was entering the music business at that point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's in it. I'm still suspect about it. And being in that studio made me even more suspect about it because it just sounded terrible. You know? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're recording, which is supposed to be exciting. That's what was, you know, fighting your whole life to get into the recording studio, man. This is, you know, it's what you hope for, what you pray for, right? You know, it's what he finally makes it. And I'm, I'm, I'm in there and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is just terrible, you know? Sounds awful because that was the period. Did you have that relationship with him where you could just tell him? Well, straight I, up? I, this is what happened. So, 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 so now it turns out that period was the only period when the engineers sort of took over and started close micing everything and padding everything and 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 wanting to be in total control, you know, as engineers do, you know, that's their that's their nature, you know. God bless them, you know. But, you know, that kind of separation and, and, and padding and clarity and control has nothing to do with rock and roll. That's the only problem. You know. Anyway, I'm laying on the floor. They're doing 10th Avenue. They got this completely. They're doing the, they bring in horns. I don't know. I don't know who they were. You know, and, and, and they're doing some bogus horn chart. Not, you know, I don't know. And Bruce says, well, what, you know, what do you think? You know, and he's sitting there with <laughs> the, the, his old, what was go, what's going to be his old producer, his manager, his new producer, and who's going to be his new manager. And, you know, three or four or five people, they're in a desperate situation with that I really know nothing about, you know, that their the whole life depends on this record, you know. You know, and I don't just, I don't care about anything at that point. So, you know, he says, what do you think? I said, you know, I said, it just blows. You know, I said, this just sucks. <laughs> you know? And, you know, and there was a moment of silence, of stun, stunned silence, you know? And so Bruce was like, well, all right, then go in and fucking fix it, man. You know? So I said, all right. You know, so I went in and I, and I, and I just sang some other parts. I didn't know they were the biggest session guys in New York, you know. <laughs> I wasn't intimidated because I didn't give a shit who they were, really. So I just sang the parts, and and that's and that was that was that, you know. But um, and that's when it all starts, right? Really. Well, start what? Like the explosion of his stardom, and well, that record was the beginning. Uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't a hit. People think it was a hit, but it wasn't. Born to Run was an amazing record, uh, still is, but um, it wasn't a hit. In the twenties, and you know, you you could buy your way into the twenties in those days. Yeah, you know, uh, in those wonderful days of payola, <laughs> things have <laughs> gone downhill ever since. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, anyway, it was it was. Um, did you watch Bruce in the sort of time from Born to Run through to Darkness on the Edge of Town through to the River? Did you watch him evolve as a songwriter? Did he get touched with that? Yeah, it was the most kind amazing of momentum that, say, Dylan had done a decade before. Well, with- yeah, it was a similar thing like I was talking about before with Dylan, with the Beatles. You know, one minute you're struggling to get an album's worth of material. I mean, Born to Run, I think, had eight songs on it, you know, and he'd written eight and a half, you know. It was all in there, yeah. You know what I mean? No spares. Darkness, 60 songs. You know, The River, 70 songs, whatever it was. You know what I mean? So it's that thing. It's that thing of earning the release of your greatness. Yeah. You know? And he's just, he just was as, as focused as a human being could be and just grinding it out, man, grinding it out, okay, day after day, you know, writing, 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 playing, working, practicing, 
getting better, getting better, you know, and completely focused. He's the only guy I've ever met in my life that didn't ever have another job. Yeah. Never did drugs. Never worked an honest day in his life. Never worked an honest day in his life. <laughs> <laughs> At least the first to say. Uh, and it's true. You know, I mean, he, he was completely able to stay focused uh, on, on rock and roll. That's all he cared about, you know. So he's always been an inspiration to me in that way, you know. But um, it was a classic case of, of earning the release of your greatness. Suddenly, you know, it was literally a damn broke. You know, how do you go from eight songs to 60? And I mean 60 good ones. Mm. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about some filler. Listen to the outtakes. The outtake album of Darkness is one of our best albums that never came out. The outtake album of uh, The River uh, is one of the best, uh, I think, our very best album, actually. Are they both out? Can people get them? Yeah, now yeah. They're in, they're, they were in the re-release packages, right. you know? Listen to those outtakes, okay? But it was, you know, at that point, you have, you, the, the release has taken place, and they come spilling out. I mean... Look at the Beatles outtakes on Hard Day's Night, you know. What was the track you came on to on Saturday? The Beatles song. It's like some Eastern flavor. Oh, that was a, in, in a Light. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great track. I know. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I just love that whole message and uh, the vibe of that thing. Uh, I suppose it's more of a George Harrison solo thing, actually. But I like the fact that it's the Beatles because they were... They were more than, you know, the, the individuals were one thing, but they, they, you know, it was, it would have been different had it been a George Harrison solo record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Than, than, than a Beatles record, you know? I mean, that's just, it doesn't matter if they weren't on it or, or whatever. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's a, it's a very important song to me. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so, so that was, a, that was. A very creative, prolific magical time and you were obviously involved hands-on with the production side and later yeah yeah, yeah uh, the, you know darkness was a real struggle um although as he was still he was beginning to write like a crazy man you know and that was part of the problem because you wanted to focus it down did you well, it was, you know the first 10 songs he wrote we you know was fantastic you know and well, you know we thinking that's it you know but then it keeps, keeps writing, keeps writing, keeps writing. It became a bit frustrating because every song became a lost argument, you know. What about that one? What about that one, you know? And that continued right into the river. So that, that two or three-year period was just ridiculously prolific. But um, they have them. Chuck Berry had it. Dylan had it. You know, I mean, the Beatles uh, wrote 240 original songs in five years, basically. You know what I mean? They, that's averaging 50, Phenomenal, great, isn't it? 50 great songs a year. Yeah. You know. One great, a week. Great ones. Yeah. I mean, great ones. Mm. You, know, you know, in addition to the covers and, and all the other things, you know. So, you know, the, the, the great ones hit those periods where they're so focused. Like I say, it's just, it's just some, it's an inner momentum that takes place. And suddenly, everything you've absorbed, everything you've ever heard that went into your head starts to be put together by your subconscious and it comes spilling out in your own way, you know, and it's uh, wonderful to see it. Uh, I mean, Dylan, Dylan did it for seven albums, you know, Chuck Berry did it for certainly his great 28, as they're called. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, you know, and, uh, you know, see, you see it now and then. Uh, do you think it was a wise move on Bruce's part to step back and do the Nebraska album and sort of, because I guess with Dylan, what you had, he had the bike accident and that stopped him after Blonde on Blonde. But I guess for Bruce, he sort of consciously stepped back. And well, at that I, point, you obviously sort of went I, off um, and did your own I, thing. I, well, I very much encouraged that. I really, it was my idea. Um, he played it for me as demos for what would become the Born in the USA album. Right. And uh, I never heard anything like it. You know, he's playing me this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is, this is an album. This is something. I knew he had, he'd always had that both, both sides of him. I, I knew from, from the very beginning when I, when we, I first would go over his house and he'd play me his new songs, he had a solo folk consciousness about him, 
in addition to the band thing, always from day one. It was always those two, those two sort of uh, sensibilities that he had, you know. And um, and I just, I just, I'm, I'm listening to this thing, and and for the first time, he could have, he had become because he recorded it without any any intention of releasing it, right? No intention of it being an album uh, whatsoever. It, it, it was sort of a liberating. There's a purity uh, there, right? Yeah, and, and he and he had become these characters. He was he was he was acting. I mean, all singers are actors. Okay, I don't know if people realize that, but we are. Every single singer is an actor. You're you're basically acting out the role of of that song, of the lyrics of that song. You know, um, you know, if you're good. You know, it doesn't look like acting, of course. That's why we're the most autobiographical art form, I think, because people assume it's autobiographical, whether it is or not, you know. But anyway, um, uh, uh, where were we? Um, so you're listening to these demos for uh, what Yeah, 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 and, and, and he's becoming, and he, and he, you know, he's talking about these weird, you know, uh, rural kinds of, you know, teenage criminals and strange, very, very, very cinematic, you know, and uh, and and he's becoming any he, and he's becoming these uh, these characters and these and these songs much more than uh, than than he's ever done. I think even before or since actually. But it's very different. I'm listening to something that was extremely artistically interesting, you know. And I'm a producer first, you know what I mean. So, so I, I know greatness when I hear it, right? You know. Uh, and, and I'm and I'm hearing greatness here. And I said to him, I said, "Listen, man, I, I, I you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but that ain't no demo. That's an album." He says, "What do you mean, you know?" I said, I'm just telling you right now, on, on, a, on that little four-track cassette player with your roadie pushing the pushing play, you know, pushing record, you, know, <laughs> you just created something that is the most intimate, interesting thing I've heard in a long, long time. You know, because it, 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 it's incredibly intimate. Because when you're doing something, you don't think anybody's watching, you know, or uh, listening to it. It's rather uh, you know, it's just no, there's no filter. There's no, there's no defense. It's just pure. It's pure art in the true sense of the word, you know? Anyway, they all eventually, after a bit of... <laughs> Did you leave because of a frustration with the different angle that he went with on Born to, uh, Born in the USA, sorry? Or were you just on no, your no, own? No, 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 I no. Produ- I produced most of that. Right. I was there co-producing most right, right, of it. Right, right, right. So you were um, involved in the making of the album Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, the River and the Born USA were mine. You know, I, I was still there for, for most of it. And then um, I left, did two solo albums, and they added three songs in those two years. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, but I, uh, no, I, I left uh, for other reasons. I had just become obsessed with politics, and I felt very successful at that moment. You know, we'd broken through with the river, playing arenas, sold out, sold three million albums. I thought, you can't sell more albums than that, can you? You know, little did I know. You know, we were about to sell 20 million born in the USA. But three million felt like an enormous success. You know? And uh, like I said, selling out arenas, that was your that was your goal in life, you know, to actually find... 15,000 people in every single city that want to see you, huh? That was it. You know, I thought that was as high as you can possibly go. So, so you know, my consciousness started to break down this, this tunnel vision I had had all my life of trying to make it in rock and roll, which was an impossible dream. Suddenly, you're there. And that's when I started to think for the first time in my life, you know? And I'm thinking... You're sitting on the pavement thinking about the government. Yeah, man, for the first time. Exactly right. 
I start thinking about the government. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had mixed my medicine in the basement, <laughs> and that was time to, to think about the government. <laughs> and uh, I just started reading every book I could find about our, our foreign policy since World War II, and uh, was shocked to find that we were not the heroes of democracy I thought we were, and felt like nobody was really talking about it and and uh needed to be talked about you know so i thought well again in that search for one's identity for one's unique identity right you know i thought okay maybe that's my destiny to be the political guy you know so i'm gonna do nothing but politics 100 percent, and be very extreme about it could we talk about the sun city song and everything around that yeah it was on on my list of 44 different conflicts around the world that we were involved in and i was studying all of them and south africa was one i couldn't find out very much information about it was strangely um hard to hard to understand you know um so i went down there twice in uh I want to say 84, I guess it was. I think it was 84. It must have been. And um, just uh, doing all the research I could do, talk to everybody I could talk to. And, uh, and um, you know, at that point, I'm, 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 my identity had become this sort of artist-journalist combination, you know. And so I'm, you know, trying to stay uh, objective about everything and, you know, just sort of write about it, you know. Didn't plan on getting involved, really. You know what I mean? I'm just sort of observing and reporting, you know, and and doing it in my art form, which happens to be more of an emotional communication than an informational form of communication. So... I started putting book lists on my records. You know, I said, if you're, if you're interested, if this song interests you emotionally and you want to know the details that went into it, then read these books because this art form is not really built. To inform. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's built to, to emote. To, 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 for emotional information. You know, not, you know, you know. So, you know, so I'm still trying to be objective. You know, and I'm down there, you know, you know and I'm talking to everybody. And it's uh, it's an interesting situation down there, obviously. And I, I'm starting to like really think to myself, you know, these reforms I'm hearing about, uh, I don't see it. And and in fact, uh, this whole homeland policy is quite uh, diabolical. It's it's quite devious. You know, they're knocking down people's homes, carrying them off to something they're calling their tribal homeland. And I realized the idea of this is to then get them all out of South Africa proper, get all the black people out of South Africa, declare South Africa a democracy, and then bring them all back in as immigrant labor, right? It's just a beautiful, evil scheme that they basically use our American Indian reservations as a basis of, right? You know, so I'm just sort of beginning to put these pieces together. And I'm in a taxi one day. And, you know, driving down middle of the road. And a black guy steps off the curb. You know, a good you know, 10 feet away, you know, whatever. And a cab driver swerves to try and hit him wow. for, for sport, you know. And he's fucking kaffir, you know, which means nigger. Yeah. In Afrikaans. In Afrikaans. And, and, I, and suddenly, <laughs> my, my objectivity went... Right out the taxi window. Just, just, you know. <laughs> and I actually, I actually had, a, had a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, you know, it was sort of a nervous breakdown. I, I, I actually went to the hospital for a couple of days. And I didn't know why, you know. And I realized, you know, this this was this was destiny at work, you know. And uh, and this was now no longer just going to be another song on my next album. I needed to organize. I needed to bring this government down, you know. And so I started to sit down and 
okay, how do I bring a government down? You know? And I went through the logical and, and analysis of it. And I discovered a whole side of my brain I didn't know existed, which was this logical part of my brain, you know? This, uh, this ability to reason things out, to look at very complicated situations and see solutions, I didn't know existed because most of my life is just total chaos, you know? Uh, I mean, most artists, I think, spend their lives in chaos. I mean, I think that's one reason why we do art is to try and make some sense out of the chaos, so some sort of something we can hold on to, look at and touch and have be, you know, um, just, just some order, some order from from the chaos, you know. Uh, anyway, suddenly there was a whole other part of my brain. I was like, okay. They put the sports boycott together. It has been very, very effective. How do we, the, the, ultimately, the government's going to come down when the economic boycott is in place because of this, 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 and this. They cannot survive without the banks. So what's in between? Well, the cultural boycott's in between. We'll link the two with the cultural boycott. Obviously, that's a place we can, we can reside in quite comfortably, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I came home. I said, I'm going I'm to get one person from every music genre to sing on this record. You know, six people. What a list as well. Tom Petty. Turn in, the turn in the fifty. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bruce, yeah. They did not, did not have Tom Petty actually. Uh, sadly. Is he not on there? No, no. sadly. Uh, but uh, there was fifty others, and you know, yeah, Townsend, Miles Davis, and Africa Bambata. Uh, yeah, it was the first time rappers uh, were ever exposed. You know, people were saying, "Why are you putting these rappers on?" You know, rap at that time was very new. People thought it was going to just go away. Mm. I guess it wasn't acknowledged as a musical art form at that point. Not at was all. It? Not at all. They were trying to squelch, you know, kill it in its infancy. Yeah. And I just found it back then, particularly, you know, not so much now. But 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 back then, I felt this is this is extremely important because the black people are able, you know, black Americans were able to express themselves for the first time. Uh, you know, Marvin Gaye had trouble you know, fighting for his "What's Going On" record, and Stevie Wonder, you know, tried to had to fight Barry Gordy, you know, f- to express themselves. And, you know, Miles Davis had been basically, you know, attacked his whole life and Gil Scott Heron. And, you know, it was, just, it was just not something that black artists were encouraged to do. Like, you know, the opposite of, of white, you know, we were, you know, we were told you have to express yourself. You have to find your identity. You have to, you know, uh, you know, discover the truth in, in, in what, not only in yourself but what's going on in the world you know that that's part of your job you know it's the opposite for black people suddenly they're telling the truth they're telling telling it like it is you know in their neighborhoods i'm like this is fantastic you know so i put them on the the album melly mel and duke booty and bombada and and, 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 you know and run dmc you know and uh put them right next to david ruffin you know and miles davis and Jackson Brown and and I I, made, I was making a statement about that new art form being important. I was making a statement about our own racism, and you know, radio wouldn't play it. It was too black for white radio, too white for black radio. Ironically, it was only uh, when MTV and BET played the video that uh, we were able to uh, break through with that. Anyway, so it did its job. We were able to get into the consciousness so deeply that the senators and congresspeople's children would come back to them saying, Daddy, what's this South Africa thing? Yeah. So when the economic legislation, boycott legislation came up, Reagan predictably rejected it. He was part of that. You know, what I called the satanic trinity at the time yeah. of <laughs> Reagan, Thatcher, and Cole, uh, all supporting the apartheid system. Uh, and, uh, and he rejected it. And uh, we had such a strong groundswell that it overrode his veto. The first Music time. can change the world. Oh, in, that, in, in that case, we really did. Uh, and um, and and then uh, you know we did the great uh, thing at Wembley with with Jim Kerr, Simple Minds, and, and Peter Gabriel, of course, Jerry Dammers, you know, 
you guys were really way ahead of us in that regard. The unions in England were very, very important. But in America, it wasn't even an issue. It wasn't even an issue. Okay, you know, we had to start from scratch in America. But in the end, we got that economic relationship, economic uh, boycott legislation through, and then and then the dominoes fell just like I knew they would, and the banks cut them off, and they had to release Mandela, and boom, that's how you bring down a government. You know, don't try this at home, kids. One at one. <laughs> but you know, we uh, we did it. That those fifty artists, and 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 along with, you know. Along with uh, all those great people in, in England and, uh, and all through Europe, you know, it was one big, it was one big effort that was really quite unified, and we all inspired each other, you know, and uh, it was just a wonderful thing to be a part of, you know. One of the greatest moments of my life will always be, you know, watching Mandela walk out of jail. I mean, Jesus, you just didn't think you'd ever see that, you know. It was remarkable. As remarkable as electing a black president, I must say, another magical moment in my life, you know, uh, elect a black president in a completely prejudiced country, <laughs> you know, was quite a miracle. Didn't work out too good, okay, you know, happened to be the wrong guy at the wrong time, but, you know, it was still uh, a miracle to witness, you know, something, you know, you can be proud of, but uh, watching Mandela walk out of jail, man, was, whoa. Is this real? You know, it just seemed like uh, impossible. Rock and roll did that. Rock and soul and rap and everybody else got together and we, we won that one. I could talk to you all day. Um, I think we've ran over, so I need to wrap it up. But oh, well. uh, if you're back again, will you come on again, do a part two? Sure, man. I'd love to get into your TV and acting and the radio stuff as well, but um, we'll save that for another time. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing you part of your amazing journey. <laughs> you got it, I loved man. it. Thank you. All right. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.